0: Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books.
1: Hello, everyone. It's another week. We are getting so close to the end of the year, I just can't believe it. But um, today, it's Monday, so we've got a new author on today. And today, we are going way out into outer space with sci-fi author Jeffrey A. Carver. And I have on the Blog Talk site a link to his website, which you should definitely check out. He has so much information packed in there. Um, And I do have his bio here, so I'll read that to you. If you haven't had a chance to cross a Jeffrey A. Carver book, you're in for a treat. So he writes action-packed stories that excite, compel, and entertain. As a fiction writer, his favorite themes are star travel, alien contact, artificial intelligence, and transcendent realities, and the moral, ethical, and spiritual implications of these possibilities. Though he's primarily known as a hard sci-fi writer, the characters are always the most important part of his stories. At various times, he has been a scuba diving instructor, a quay hog driver. I don't even know if I said that right a UPS sorter, a word processing consultant, a private pilot and a stay-at-home dad. He now lives with his family in the Boston area where he divides his shrinking time between home duties and writing. He is a member of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America, the Authors Guild, and he has an author-owned publishing collaborative of the Bookview Cafe. And again, Check out his website because there are so many great tips there for sci fi writers and readers. He has lots of great book recommendations on there too. So without any further ado, are you there, Jeff?
0: Hi, Lisa. Good to be here.
1: Hi, great to have you on.
0: So um, we're on the You opposite have a brand new book con- out. <laughs> I do. Sorry, Actually, I didn't I mean have to talk over you. Out. You do. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Um my new book well, is
0: actually two books um oh. it it was written it was written as a single novel, the Reefs of time, but it was so big by the time I was finished with it. It took me eleven years to write by the time I was finished wow. it, it was clearly too long for one book and uh it's really two pretty long books uh two volumes one story, <laughs> the Reefs of time, and uh crucible of time and they were published the- uh, just a couple of months apart.
1: Yeah, and these are part of the Chaos Chronicles, right?
0: That's right, that's right. Um, started do they need book- to be
1: read in uh, order? Should we start with book one?
0: Um, it it You can read these without having read the earlier books. If you do start with the earlier books, you'll have a fuller picture of everything, because obviously a lot came before and the story built up, but... Um, I did my best to make this accessible to anyone who wanted to just dive right in, and I do have uh, recaps of the earlier books uh, at the beginning of the Reefs of Time. For, so if you haven't read them in a while or if you haven't read them at all, you can still jump right in.
1: So can you tell us, without without a bunch of spoilers, what what is the Chaos Chronicles? What are we jumping into with Crucible of Time?
0: Oh, boy. Um, It's a story. It's really a a story. It's just an odyssey. Uh, It starts with one human who has an alien encounter. But once we're really into the the whole series, it's the the odyssey of a whole company of friends, um, a human, alien friends, AI friends, and they're all exiled from their home worlds. And they're facing situations and realities that they just don't understand and they don't know why they're thrown into. And forces that sometimes seem infinite and unknowable, they're really up against some cosmic things. And, but it's really, at heart, it's a, it's a journey of reluctant heroes. And it takes them across thousands of light years and back into deep time. And they are, well, they're, well, there are worlds that have to be saved and they've been volunteered for the job.
1: <laughs> I love that. Reluctant heroes is always a great um for me when I'm a, as a reader, I always enjoy reluctant heroes um because mm-hmm. they're so relatable. Um because most of us don't wake up in the morning and go, "Huh, I think I want to go save the universe today," right?
0: Right. Right. It's like I think I want to successfully make my coffee. um, (laughs) uh, We we live on a much
1: smaller uh, scale.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this particular story starts out at the edge of the galaxy, and uh, they've been through a lot of um, trials and, and turmoil and are trying to recover, but they're not given any rest. new situation comes up worse than the last situation. And they pretty much have to deal with it. So it's so it's 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 really a story of of friendship as well. It's the relationships of these people are very very important, integral to the to the story.
1: Yeah, I um, saw on your website and and I read that in your bio too that even though you're a hard sci-fi writer, you said the characters make all the difference, right?
0: Characters are what it's all about. There's no story without good characters, and uh, so for me, the, the the hard science element is is important, and I love science, and I love trying to create believable worlds. But um, it all started in my mind with the characters, and that's really what's central. Well. Where is what's their life story, and where are they going, and how to where do they go in relation to each other? Because they all have different pasts and different desires for the future so it's Mm -hmm. really interesting to see how together
1: so are you a plotter or do you are you i i always hear everybody call them pantsers are you riding by the seat of your pants do you have a big (laughs) you know plot chart How, how does it get the story come together for you
0: i understand that um i don't i think this came from george martin i'm not certain that that uh it's gardeners versus architects. Uh, some mm-hmm. people are more elegant than plotters versus painters. Right. Um, I mean, I'm more of a gardener. I'm a pretty intuitive kind of guy. I often start the story not really knowing where it's going. I might know where it's going in the end, but I don't know what comes in the middle. And the only way I can right. find out is to write it. And so I do That's some, a- I, I certainly do some planning and and, and rough outlining. Uh, And I did write one novel, not in this series, where I did carefully outline and I tried to follow the outline. And and it worked okay, but but fundamentally, I'm on as much of a journey as the characters are. And I dive in (laughs) and I hope that when I get to the end, it makes sense and holds together. (laughs) But that's what rewriting is for, too. (laughs) It never really does in the first draft, sometimes in the second draft. By the third and fourth draft, then it's it, it should be pulling together and and be a story mm-hmm. that somebody really want to read.
1: Yeah. So a, what is it that drew you like, to write sci-fi? Was that always what you wanted to write? Was it what you read, or
0: it's what I read from the from when I can remember beginning to read for pleasure. Science fiction was always what I was most drawn to. I read, um, as a as a kid, I read the Tom Swift Jr. Inven- Inventor books and the Tom Corbett Space Cadet books, and then I moved into Heinlein and Asimov and, and all the classic writers, and it always just held more interest for me than any other genre of writing or of reading. I mean, I like other kinds of books as well, but, but that's what always grabbed me. It was always about possibilities and and the universe and and things we might do and things where things might go wrong and um just just grabbed me from young age and still does today.
1: Right. Do you get excited when uh NASA has those big discoveries and they send back pictures from Mars and all that kind of thing? Does that is does that feed talking... the little boy in you? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Of course it does. How can it not? <laughs> <laughs> I was I lucky. I got to meet. First them. <laughs> when yeah, go the first ahead. Landing on Mars, the first landing on Mars was by the Viking craft. I don't remember what year it was, but I got a um, a phone call from my brother who said he's watching on TV as a a Spacecraft has just landed on Mars and they're interviewing Ray Bradbury. And here he is talking on the phone to his science fiction writer brother. He said it never felt more science fictional to him than at that moment.
1: <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, um, I got to meet Ray a couple of times before he passed away and you mm. could see anytime he was talking about Mars or space, his eyes would light up. Oh my gosh, that and write And talking about writing. Um, he just, it was, you know, I, I think some people are just born sci-fi you know, writers, they, they just think of, um, you know, he used to talk about that writing about space and the future meant that you could have no rules, you know, you could make up your own and all that kind of thing. And um, I, I find that fascinating because I'm not a sci-fi writer because the science always scares me, but um, (laughs) the ramifications (laughs) of the science, I guess I should say. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Do you like to yeah, play with those really kind good. of plots? <laughs> well, I, I'd love to. Um, and I wouldn't say that there are no rules. I think you get to create your own rules within certain boundaries. If you if you want to write um, stories that are believable to a, to a science-literate audience, then your rules are maybe different than if you're writing a story for a more fantastic-oriented audience. And once you've right. created your rules, you, you have to pay attention to them. But um, the, well, this particular series that is named The Chaos Chronicles because I was very interested in chaos theory, and I read James Gleick's book, Chaos, and um, I read an article in the Planetary Report, which is the, the publication of the Planetary Society, about how asteroids in our solar system can be bumped into close encounters with the Earth by chaotic movements of bodies in the system. And that that started the kind of uh, domino effect of ideas in my head that led to a guy out on Triton, the moon of Neptune, encountering an alien who tells him, you're the one person who can save the Earth from a comet that's been falling that nobody's going to see until it's too late. And that's really (laughs) what set the whole thing up. Wow! um, And from a writing point of view, it was it was uh, odd in in a way. Well, odd is the right word. I tend to write long, and I had just finished Mm -hmm. writing a really long book that was much more fantastic. It was called Dragon Rigger. It was science fiction, but it had dragon. And these long books were leaving me kind of like exhausted. Years writing a book, and right. um, So I I decided to try something different. I would do a series of short novels with a single story arc. And back then, nobody was talking about story arcs. It was before all the TV shows were doing that. So to me, this was a really innovative idea. Now it's like, okay, you're writing a series. Big deal. Um, But to me, this was a breakthrough, conceptual breakthrough. Right. Um, So I could write each book Quickly and and build this long story, and and so the first novel I did pretty quickly um, for me, and the second one took a little longer and was a little longer, and then they just kept <laughs> growing until, uh, well, there were, there were other things that came into play, but but when I was doing the Reefs of Time, which became that and the Crucible and Crucible of Time. Um, Eleven years to write that was not in my game plan at the time. Yeah,
1: was. oh my gosh.
0: Yeah. So but you so know, y- like was were you
1: writing those. were you writing other books in between?
0: Is mm, that why it took eleven actually, years no, to finish? No, was, um that was all working on those books. And, and wow raising a family and doing other things that, that, right. that took uh I mean energy away from writing. But uh, right. I set some That's... challenges for myself in these books that were a little, the bar was a little higher than the book before. And um, mm-hmm. it took me a while to figure out really what I was doing. And um, mm-hmm. I know, I keep doing that. And I know that this is a good thing, objectively. I know it's good to always set the bar a little higher and try to stretch a little, right. little more.
1: It's just you new know, and interesting. Right.
0: But sometimes... It takes a while to get over that bar. And the <laughs> <case>. <laughs> uh,
1: so, um. <laughs> so so did you um, ever think of some of, I know a lot of the sci-fi books, you know, they go toward comics as well. Are you interested in that kind of thing, comics and graphic novels and all that kind of stuff? Do you see your books ever going in that direction?
0: Um. Well, I do not myself work in that medium. If someone came to me and said, "Hey, your books would be great for this. You want to work with me on it? I'd I'd be all for it." Um,
1: okay. So
0: anybody out there is listening who is working in the comic or graphic novel field, um, you know, look me up. Um, but similarly, yeah. I <laughs> think this, this series would be a great mini series <laughs> if anybody's listening. Um, right. Well, yeah, it's not it's not my it's it's something that I I like and I would would be happy to see it go that way. It's not my particular area of expertise. But my job is right. to get to work on the next book and get these books out in front of people so that they'll hear about them because they don't they don't find their audience automatically. So you do things like right um, and podcasts. So. <laughs>
1: So what was your writing journey like? When did you decide, I'm going to be a writer, and and how did you make that
0: happen? Well, I think I took my first serious stab at writing when I was about 12. Um, My best friend growing up and I had had, uh, read some stories together, and we decided to write a story together. We each wrote our own version. And my version was called The Mysterious Midnight Ride. And it was illustrated oh. by me. And um
1: See, and I were
0: the main <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was actually a big comic reader as a kid. Uh, <clears throat> and I actually still have that I still have that illustration illustrated one copy edition um on my desk <laughs> somewhere. <And clears throat> excuse me. Um and, and I didn't really do anything more until I was in high school and I was um, given an assignment to write a short story. And I did that and I really enjoyed that. And then when I was in college, I really started saying, you know, I like this writing business and I want to pursue it. And um, there wasn't – I was at a, a, a well-known university. They didn't—they had a, a strong English department but not a uh, – the, they didn't really have much to do with science fiction or have anybody there who knew about it. So I was a little bit on my own for that. But I started writing stories and submitting them to the magazines. And it took a number of years, and I collected a lot of rejection slips. And finally, I sold <coughs> excuse me sold my first short story uh, to a little magazine in Boston. And uh, then I sold one to Galaxy Magazine. That was my first sale to a real science fiction um, venue. And then something oh, weird nice. happened. I've been submitting stories to um, some anthology editors. And one, uh, an editor named Terry Carr, the late Terry Carr, I'm sorry to say, uh, did a whole series of anthologies called Universe. And he'd been uh, giving me positive feedback on my stories. He hadn't bought one. And he sent one back saying, I'm not going to buy it, but I like it. And I like your writing. And I'm... Have a deal to line up some new writers for a new publishing line. Would you be interested in writing a novel if we offered you a contract? And oh, I wow for a second about that and I sat down and started camping <laughs> out my novel. I had not had the slightest intention of writing a novel at that point. But once I once that carrot was put in front of me, I was on it. I was on my portable typewriter, yeah. Bang the and, and that novel was published, and it's called Seas of Ernath and it's, uh, um was out of print for many years, but it's it's still available as an e-book now, or I should say available again in my own in, um, edition. And it's part of this, what became my Star Rigger universe, which is a, a different series of novels from the Chaos Chronicles. It's um, five books, I think, set in that universe. And... Um, so I got started writing novels. That's and when I realized so, it's more of a novel.
1: Right. <laughs> so do you love that? Um, I I know I do. I I'm a hybrid author, so I have a publisher for one series, and then I always have a series that I'm writing that I. Put out myself. And I love that books don't go out of print now and that you can bring something back and and get it back out there so the books don't vanish like they used to. You have your own little Mm -hmm. publishing business, right? So are you doing that same thing? Are you putting things out yourself?
0: Um, Yeah, I was actually, um, I could say that I was an early adopter of books and getting my books back into print and that was because of um, the be- between books three and four of this series there was a, a gap of some years and the f- first three books were out of print and I said I've gotta uh, you know give the audience a chance with a new book coming out and so I created ebooks with the help of some other people um, that I put out for free for quite a while and then once the Kindle platform and all that took off um i made them yeah, a little more professional and more and put them up for sale um <clears throat> but i had pretty much all of my backlist available um and this is it, this is a career saver for many many writers the, the new phenomenon where you can put your backlist up for um for very little cost and make them available right. to readers and um I, be- I became a member of a group called Bookview Cafe, which is an author cooperative. It's um, somewhere between 40 and 50 uh, writers who are all traditionally published. And if you're a reader of science fiction or, or romance or uh, there's some paranormal writers, um, you would recognize a bunch of the names. And um, it's a co op formed to help each other, first of all, to get their backlist back into print, but more and more people are doing originals. And the co-op model is that uh, we each write our books and we get uh, um, another member will, for example, do a cover design for you. And a different member will do the ebook formatting if you are not able to do it yourself and that sort of thing. So we help each other get our books um, into print and more and more doing originals that way. So when I finished, Oh, that's exciting. Uh, it is. It is. And it's a wonderful community of people and a lot of very good writers. Um, the late Ursula K. Le Guin was one of the founding members of it, actually. And um, when I finished The Reefs of Time, Crucible of Time, uh, it was under a contract with Tor Books, which had done the first four books of the series. But they said, you know what? In too many years, uh, you're on your own with these. So we had an amicable parting of ways, and I decided to bring mm-hmm. them out with the help of Book the Cafe. So this is my first venture into original uh oh. it's it's self publishing, but it's also hybrid in the sense that it's done with the um in association with this group of other writers. So it's kind right. of a hybrid between hybrid and and self-publishing and traditional. You're <laughs> an learning how to do all of this.
1: Right. How many books have you written? Do you know?
0: Eight, eighteen at this point.
1: Eighteen.
0: I think that's right. Eighteen, yeah.
1: Nice. And are they all still? Are they all back up now? Are they all available?
0: They are all available. Um, oh, there are a couple that I don't include the rights to. I did a Battlestar Galactica novelization. I novelized the the um, Sci-Fi Channel mini series that started the back in 2003, I think it was. It started the the four four year series, um, and that was that was fun. And one other book that was a one of these uh, shared universe things um, in association with Rogers Elasny and uh, that's a, a book that I don't hold the rights to, but I did manage to get the current rights holder to put up an e-book of that. So you can get that from the Kindle store also. That's called uh, Alien Speedway. Rogers Elizon's Alien Speedway. It's about a kid who's orphaned on Earth and he goes off to make his fortune in a solar system where they race spaceships. And wow. So much fun. <laughs> <laughs> that was just a
1: awesome. <laughs> Well... Do you remember who was the first, when when you were, it sounds like Terry Carr was a great editor encouraging you, but did you mm-hmm. get to meet any other sci-fi writers? Was there anybody who, who really, you know, encouraged you that you're on the right path, you can do this kid? Um, <laughs> was there anybody who who, you know, kept you going through those
0: rejections? You know, not really. I was more isolated than I needed to be. As I later understood, um, there was a whole oh. world of conventions and and science fiction fandom that I just wasn't really aware of and uh, oh I see you know there were con- I could have gone to a convention right in in Boston where I lived, um but I didn't know about it, and so I was pretty much on my own until I started to make those sales, and then I started to get clued in and and make some connections. So I don't really recommend that as a way to do it. If you are a hiring writer, (laughs) you know, go to some conferences, uh, attend some conventions. Most writers and editors are are very friendly and accessible. Um, I just didn't know it at the time. (laughs) So I might have shortened my path to publication if I had gotten myself um, kind of into that community center. So that's a right. I regret.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because um, it, it really... I have found anyway that writers are it's such an interesting profession because we're we're not in competition we're we're you know we're all colleagues, and you can't write fast enough mm-hmm. for all the readers, so you want everybody to succeed and I know when I was starting out, I was so wowed that writers were so kind and <laughs> kind and encouraging
0: and, mm-hmm.
1: and uh it, you know so for the aspiring writers out there don't be afraid to go to a conference and tell someone that you love their writing and you're working on your first book because um writers are really cool we we live in caves writing books but when we get out <laughs> we we want to help
0: we <laughs> like to gather around the campfire <laughs> yeah <laughs> to each other Tell stories about writing, yeah. about knocking down that plot bear and <laughs> subduing it.
1: hmm Right, getting um, through so the middle of, of writers, that book.
0: Ugh. Yeah, yeah, uh, and a lot of writers do pay forward by teaching writing in one form or another, and I've I've done that. I've taught at many workshops, and I have a free online guide that. Uh, WriteSF.com. That's just it's just a guide to younger aspiring writers about some of the basics of writing science fiction, and you can just go there and, and look at it, and you don't have to sign up or anything. And, and,
1: and you used to oh, have a TV program for middle school kids to write, right?
0: That was a fun adventure. Yes, it was. Um, um, it was a project funded by the state of Massachusetts. There's an educational program that went out by Satellite Feed. Remember Satellite Feed? Uh, before the internet yeah. had really taken off. And it was it went into middle school classrooms around the country. And so I would do a presentation about one aspect of writing or another. And then we'd have a phone connection back from some of the classrooms to the studio so I could talk to the kids and have guest authors. And that, that ran for two seasons, I think. Um, and that was just a lot of fun. Um, uh, kids have so much energy and creativity that it's just uh, really great to see them and to just give us even the smallest helping hand is um, a kind of a pleasure to give. And yeah, and I you. I love uh, that
1: you did that.
0: Uh, there's a, a young writers uh, workshop series that high school sophomores come in the spring and in all kinds of writing. And working with those incredibly talented writers at the New Glen Young Writers Conference. Um it's just it's it's so much fun to to work with younger writers and, and see them grow. Well, also gives you well, giving, you're giving I can't that believe that we're
1: that we're running out of time, but we are. <laughs> and Indeed. um so before, right, it goes by so fast, but before we go, how can readers get in touch with you? Do you just want them to go to your website? Are you on Facebook? How how should they reach out?
0: I am on Facebook. Probably if, you, if they want to um, just uh, send me an email or something, they can use a contact form on my website at starrigger.net. Uh, if you just Google my name, you'll find it. And uh, I am I'm not terribly active on Facebook, but I am on Facebook, so... Probably, um, if they want to specifically reach out and ask a question or something, um, using my website, contact form would be the best way.
1: Okay, perfect. Well, everyone run out and get The Crucible of Time and The Chaos Chronicles. And thanks so much for being on today.
0: Well, thank you, Lisa. It's been a pleasure.
1: Yeah, good luck, and I can't wait for the next book. Hopefully, it won't be a okay. bunch of years, right? Thank It'll you. be soon.
0: <laughs> soon, soon. <laughs> We're good right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks so much for being on.
0: Thanks for joining us on Book Lights. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.